Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today I'm uh, thrilled because we get to jump into our Christmas series. Uh, Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Ate way too much, took a turkey nap and then came back and ate some more, uh, hopefully like we did. Uh, I get to say this this morning, um, Merry Christmas. Yeah, as a Christmas nerd, I'm always excited when I get to say that, and you can respond to that, so thank you. Thank you for playing along there. But uh, if you didn't uh, check your calendar, you're four weeks away from Christmas, four weeks away from, uh, or four weeks from today, we will be on Christmas Day, and I need to let you know that on Christmas Day, we are not doing in-person services here. What's going to happen is we're going to encourage you to stay home, do your uh, Christmas stuff with your family, and then at 10 o'clock, we have a special online service we want everyone to tune in for, and uh, it's going to be very, very interactive. Active, uh, for families. Kids will get a kick out of it. It's going to be a short service, but we'll have a lot of fun with that, just kind of talking about the Christmas story. And uh, you can join us at 10 o'clock for that check-in, and you can see all the other people that are checking in as well. If you can't make it at 10 o'clock, that's okay, because probably by 11 o'clock, it'll be available for you to view at any time after that, so then you can check it out uh, if, it, if it works better for your schedule. But uh, that, that's what we're doing on Christmas Day. As I said, we are kicking off a new series today. This is our Christmas series, Why He Came. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about why Jesus came, why he was born in that manger so many years ago, why he came to earth in the first place, why that that had to happen. And so today, uh, my job is to kind of share with you uh, one of the reasons why he came was we had a problem. There was a problem. So I want to talk to you about the problem. Um, I I know for many of us, we have Christmas traditions, right? If you're like our family, you have all these different things that you do during the Christmas time. And uh, even starting for us, it was clear back on Thanksgiving Day, there were certain things we had to do, certain foods we had to eat, certain movies you got to watch, right? Uh, Songs that have to be played, certain things that have to happen as a family. And, And so you have all these Christmas traditions. And I will tell you, one of the things I was thankful for was that when my kids were young, I was not parenting when Elf on the Shelf was a thing. So I'm thankful for that. That, I don't even get that. That's just a mess. But anyway, uh, one of the things that uh, kids have been told for many, many years, not just here, but around the globe, and it's been going on for centuries, is that if you're good all year long, Santa Claus will drop a present into your stocking or some candy. But if you are bad, he will drop what into your stocking? Yeah. So uh, you get a chunk of coal in your stock. Why, why has this been going on for so long? Why do we do this? Uh, the reason for that is because um, we are broken, messed up people. And we have to be taught how to do the right things. Uh, we, we have to reinforce good behaviors in our kids. And this helps with that. Because if they think Santa is going to give them a chunk of coal, then all of a sudden they're not going to bite their brother or they're not going to kick their sister. They're not going to lie. They're, they're going to obey their parents. That's the idea behind all that, right? And so we try to reinforce good habits in them. And the reason for that is because along with decisions and actions come consequences. That's what we're trying to 
tell them um, when we teach them things like this. And this isn't the only thing. There's a lot of them. And, and I want you to know that ironically, talking about coal in your stocking, um, reinforcing this idea that with actions and decisions come consequences, is a, it's actually a biblical principle. Did you know that? Like God wants to train us up to make better decisions, to live like him, not live in our sinful nature. Um, one of the things that you'll learn as you dive into scriptures and you begin reading from the beginning to the end, you'll find out that God created a covenant with us so that we wouldn't have to deal with this, right? He created a covenant with us, and it starts clear back in Genesis. Uh, in Genesis, God created humanity, and, and he has this man and woman in the garden, and he, and he says, uh, you know, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to help me take care of this perfect world. Live the way I want you to live. Be in fellowship with me. And if we do this, you're going to flourish. And instead, they chose to do their own thing, right? They turned their backs on God. They sinned. They chose to go their own way instead of God's way. And, and since humanity rebelled, what we had is the, the entering in of sin and death into this perfect picture. And it broke that design that God had. We turned our backs on him and sinned against him. You see, for the next several generations, things just get worse. And it says in Scripture, not a single thought or, or um, desire in their heart, not a single inclination was good. That's how bad humanity got. And so God decided, hey, um, there's one man on earth, Noah. He's righteous. I'll make a covenant with him. And he builds an ark. He throws his family on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. God covers the face of the earth with water. Interesting, uh, at the very beginning of creation, when the world is created, it's covered in, in water. And so essentially what God is doing is going back. He's doing a do-over. He's resetting things. He, he floods the earth. And, and after Noah and his family come through that, um, God tells them, look, I, I want to make a covenant with you. Be fruitful and multiply. And God makes promises to them. And he asks them one thing, just commit yourself to me. And if you do that, humanity is going to flourish. If you remain faithful to this, this covenant. And what do they do? They mess it up again. You go down the road and, and you run into a guy by the name of Abram. <clears throat> we know him as Abraham. And God picks Abraham out of all these people who are doing destructive things, who are sinning and evil. And, and he picks Abraham out and he says, look, I want to I renew my covenant with you. And if you'll follow me, <clears throat> if you'll obey me, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll make your name great. And get this, I will make you a blessing to the rest of the world, to the entire world. That was God's plan, is he wanted to bless the entire world, and he was going to do it through Abram. And in return, all he asked Abram to do is just trust him. And if he would trust him and raise up his family to do the same, things would go well with them. And they mess it up time and time again. And Abram, God blessed him. He became a great nation, and, and it grew into this nation of Israel, which is, we find out in Exodus, held captive in, in Egypt. God comes and he, he pulls them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea and Moses brings them to the, the base of Mount Sinai. And at the base, God renews his covenant with Israel. He gives them 10 commandments and he says, look, if you just obey me, if you follow me, I'll bless you. And you're going to be my representatives to the rest of the world. I want to bless you so that you might bless the rest of the world. And what do they do? 
I mean, before Moses ever comes down, they've got a golden calf, right? They fail time and time and time again. And you go through a long period of, of people just turning against God, and, and God would let them have what they wanted. And they would find themselves in bad places, and they would cry out to God, and God would redeem and rescue them again, and he would renew his covenant, and over and over and over again until we get to King David. And, and God renews this covenant with King David. He tells King David, look, if you trust me, I'll bless you. And I will keep you on the throne and one of your descendants will become the savior of the world. Because I'm, I can't keep doing this back and forth thing. I have a better plan. I'm going to bring some, somebody in who's going to save and redeem everything. Now the problem is each time this covenant was renewed, they failed over and over and over again. Why? Why? Because of sin. We have a sin problem. This is the problem that has to be overcome. Now, some of you, uh, we don't use that word a whole lot in our society, do we? We don't like calling anything sin. That's like offensive if you call something sin. And so therefore, even as Christians, sometimes we won't say sin. We'll say, well, I, I didn't do them right, right? Or something like that. But when was the last time you said, look, I actually sinned or I sinned against you? We need to bring this back because this is it. And, and so let me, let me define this for us because we need to understand what sin is. Let me give you a few things that define sin. First of all, sin is the opposite of God and good. God and good. It's the opposite of God and good. In Job 34, Job says, Listen to me, you who have understanding. Everyone knows that God doesn't sin. The Almighty can do no wrong. There is no sin in God. He is holy and he is set apart from sin. And then in Psalm 145, it says, the Lord is good to who? Everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. Let me ask you this. Are you good to everyone? No. We're sinful, aren't we? Um, he showers compassion on all his creation. Sin is always a perversion of God's good gifts. God blesses us and, and we turn around and use it for our own desires our own wants instead of blessing the world around us sin is the opposite of god and good uh, number two sin is the opposite of love sin is always unloving uh, we try to pretend like it's good like it is loving right we try to make excuses for it well you know i really need to tell that to him and and uh, I, I was just speaking the truth that's what i was doing we make excuses for sin and sin is always unloving See, the thing is, when we love God, we sin against God less. Do you know why? Because we want his desires. We want his will. When we love the people in our lives, we sin less against them. Why? Because we love them. We put them first. We elevate them. Matthew 24, 12 says, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. He's talking about a future time. Let me ask you a question. Um, does that describe today? Is sin running rampant everywhere? Yeah, you better believe it. And what's it say? It says that in that moment, love of many will grow cold. Let me ask you, are we um, more loving today than we were 20 years ago? 10 years ago? Five years ago? Yeah, I don't think so. Now, if you really want a quick definition for what sin is, there's this great story in scripture where somebody comes to Jesus and he, he's testing Jesus and he says, what's the greatest commandment? And you guys know this story. We've told it a thousand times. Um, 
he says, what's the greatest commandment? God doesn't, or Jesus doesn't give him one. He gives him two, remember? And we summarize it. We say, love God and love others. That's what we say. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Love God, love others. If you want a definition for sin, sin is the opposite of that. So you can say it this way. Sin is not loving God or not loving others. Why? Because sin is the opposite of love. And then number three, sin is always selfish. It's always about me. It's always about I, right? I, I, I. James 3.16, you heard John John 3.16, but maybe you never read James 3.16. It says, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, get this, wherever that happens, does this describe our world? Does this describe your home? There you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Many of the sins that you've committed against other people have been rooted in your selfishness. When you were younger, many of the sins that were committed against you were rooted in somebody else's selfishness. God didn't put us on this planet to live life for ourselves. Living for yourself is the essence of sin. It's this self-centeredness instead of Christ-centeredness. What are you living for? Let me, let me just ask, what is it that you really are living for? What's most important in your life? Is it, is it sports? Is it money, reputation, job? What, it, what is it for you? Because it should be God. We have to learn how to swim upstream in a narcissistic society because everything in our culture tells us that we just need to grab all that you can, step on people if you have to, get ahead, whatever it takes. Uh, I've heard it said that the center letter of sin, pride, and crime is I. I love that. I remember hearing that a lot. Uh, Sin, pride, and crime the center letter is I. And I started thinking about what other words have I at the center of it? Here's just a few of them. Um, wine. Not like wine, but like wine, right? When you whine, it's all about I. It's all about you, right? Um, criticize. Gossiping. Envious. Deceitful. Defiant. Merciless. Furious. Lying. They all have I at the center of them. Why? Well, because sin is always selfish. Number four, sin is always unbelief. And specifically, unbelief in who God is. Uh, Many times when I doubt who God is, when I doubt in his provisions, when I doubt in his promises, it leads me to a place where I sin. Uh, In John chapter 16, Jesus is preparing his disciples because he's getting ready to leave the earth. And he says this, the world's sin is, is that they refuse to believe in me. You know what's interesting? Is when I take a look at my sin, many times my sin reveals what I doubt about God in that minute. In that moment, in that situation, many times my sin reveals what I doubt about him. And I could give you 500 examples, but let me just give you a couple of them. Um, When I'm fearful or when I'm anxious about something, it's because I'm doubting God's promises. I know what the Bible says. I know all the promises that God has given us, and and yet I doubt them when it comes to me. I can teach it to you, but when it comes to my own life, I start worrying, and I start um, stressing, and the anxiety level goes way up. Why? Because I'm doubting God's promises. When I walk around, I carry a lot of guilt, and I beat myself up. It's because I'm doubting God's forgiveness. I know he can forgive you, but boy, if you knew what I did, right? Right? Our sin reveals what we doubt about God in that moment. 
Now, some of you, I know we're talking about sin, and you're like, well, I, I don't really see the big deal with sin. Well, I mean, what's the problem with sin? Well, let's talk about that. Um, number one, um, I was born with a selfish desire to sin, and so were you. Um, we have this thing in Scripture, it's called sin nature. And if you don't know what that is, just ask any parent of a two-year-old. They can share it with you, right? Parents, um, did you have to teach your two-year-old how to lie? No. Did you have to teach them how to run and hide when they, were, when they did something wrong? No. See, all that is our sin nature. It comes natural. We have to teach them the good stuff because the bad stuff is already in us. And we have to replace it with the good stuff. Uh, one of the best people in Scripture, that, as far as I know, was the Apostle Paul. Like, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He followed the law. He, I mean, he was a passionate guy about Christ. And yet, even Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote in Romans 7. He said, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Can anybody relate to that this morning? Man, he goes on to say in 17 and 23, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. We have a sin problem. And can I just say it this way? If the apostle Paul can't overcome it, we can't either. You can't overcome it on your own. There's no way. We have a sin problem. Uh, Number two, sin breaks, and this is the one that kills me, breaks our fellowship with God. Do you realize that your sin is a a relational issue? When you sin, it breaks relationships. It changes them. Uh, When I sin against my wife, you want to guess what happens in our house? It gets very cold. Why? Because it breaks the connection between me and somebody else. It breaks the connection between you and somebody else. And when we sin against God, it breaks the connection that we have with God as well. Isaiah 59 says, it's your sin that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and, get this, will not listen anymore. Sin separates us from God. Our sin has got to be eliminated if we're going to have relationship with God. You you have to get rid of it in order to dwell with God. Uh, When you read through the Old Testament, so often we misunderstand the sacrifices and everything that were made. Do you know what what that was? It was a blessing. God was working with a a sinful bunch of people. We just talked about how many times they broke the covenant. He was giving them things that they could do to be cleansed so that they could have have a conversation, so that they could have a relationship with a holy God. That's what all those purification rituals and all those sacrifices were all about. It wasn't so much about God as it was about cleansing his people so that he could continue to dwell with them even though they were broken and messed up just like you and I are. Uh, Number three, my sin may be a secret, but get this, it's never private. It's never private. Now, I put this in here um, because in my heart, I felt like we were going to have somebody here today who thinks that they're getting away with their sin. They're sneaking around in the dark. They're doing things they're not supposed to. And they don't think anyone else knows. Like, it's all hidden. They don't think it's affecting anyone. And I want you to know it always affects other people. 
your sin always affects other people. Um, God sees everything that you do. One of the scariest verses is Numbers 32, 23. It says, but if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Don't you wish every politician would memorize that passage? But we're just as bad as they are, right? We need to understand. God knows everything that we do, everything that we think. He knows what our sin is, and your sin will surely find you out. What is in the dark will be brought out into the light. I, I love the passage in First Chronicles chapter 21. There's the story. It's, it also plays out in Second Samuel. But it's a story about King David, and, and we know his sin with Bathsheba. Like, that's the one we always point to, right? But there's another sin that takes place late in his life that we don't talk about very often. And remember the words that started, you know, they have the middle letter is I. Um, David calls for a census to be taken. What he does, he asks his commander of his army to go out and number all the fighting men. And I honestly believe that the reason he does this is because it's just plain old pride. Pride with that I right in the middle, man. God had brought them through so much. They were experiencing peace and prosperity. They had defeated the, the nations around them. And he, gets, he, he just gets puffed up. And he wants to count all the fighting men in Israel as though he's putting trust in that and not in God. And what happens is Joab, his commander, even knows it's a sin because he comes in and he goes, you want me to do what? Like, King David, please don't, don't bring this guilt on Israel, is what he says. And Joab goes out to count the men, and he doesn't even complete the count because he's so convicted. And yet God gets angry with David because he sent him out for the census. And so in a, in a scene almost from a Monty Hall you know, game show, God sends the prophet to David, and he says, here's, here's what the Lord says. You get to pick what your punishment is, and you get three options. It's like behind door number one, behind door, you know, you get to pick. Now, if you, um, if you don't know what this story is, go back and read it, First Chronicles 21. It's amazing. But in David's distress, he can't even really pick. Like, he just literally just says, just put me in God's hands because I know he has great mercy. And God sends a pestilence into the land, and it kills 70,000 people because of David's sin. 70,000 people lost their life because David sinned, because of pride. He was selfish. He got puffed up. Not only that, but God sends an angel, and we, we miss this part of the story so often, but an angel to destroy Jerusalem. Maybe you've never heard this before, but the angel standing over Jerusalem draws his sword, and God pushes the pause button and says, hang on one second. David goes out, he buys a threshing floor, and one of the things that he says is, look, um, the guy that owns it says, look, I'll just give it to you. You're the king, you can have whatever you want. And David says, look, I'm not taking anything from you. I am not taking stuff for an altar and offering sacrifices to my God that cost me nothing. That's what he says. So he pays him for all of it. He buys the threshing floor, he builds the offer, altar, and he offers sacrifices. And it's not, and this is very interesting, it's not until he repents and offers those sacrifices that God says to the angel, go ahead and sheathe your sword. Now, why do I bring that up? Because your sin may be secret, but it's never private. I've learned that the quicker I confess my sin, 
it lessens the consequences. It, it doesn't eliminate them. There's, there's still consequences for my actions. Remember, our, our actions and consequences, it comes with, I'm sorry, our decisions and our actions comes with consequences. It doesn't get rid of that, but it lessens them because here's what happens. When I try to cover it up, when I sin again to cover up more sin, when I try to hide it, I make it worse and it seems like things just build. It just gets worse and worse. And the sooner I come clean, the sooner I turn and repent means to turn, to do a 180. The soon as I turn back to God and I repent, the better things are. If you are somebody in this room right now who is hiding sin, you think it's secret, I want you to know God sees everything that you do and it is not private. Repent as soon as possible. And then number four, sin does long-term damage. It does long-term damage. And I say this because some of you here, um, you're in your sin right now. It's been going on for a while. And you secretly think that you're getting away with it. Like just because you haven't seen the damages yet, you think that you've escaped all the consequences. Like you're going to get away with this thing altogether. Um, it would be like you and me going to the tallest building in Denver, right? And we stand on the very top and I share with you, you know what? I don't really believe in gravity, right? What would you say to me? Like you're crazy. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's a law, right? It's going to happen. Um, I, and I could be sincere. Like I could be really serious about this and be sincere about it. I don't, I don't believe in gravity. And, and what if I took it a step further? A step further, you like that? And I went ahead and jumped, right? And I jumped. And I'm going down. Has anything happened yet? No. And you catch me at the 40th floor and you're like, hey, Don, how's it going? I'd be like, it's going great. No problem, right? Why? Because I haven't hit the bottom yet. Some of you, you think you're getting away with your sin right now. Listen to me. You're only at the 40th floor. You haven't hit the bottom yet. You need to repent and turn back to God. Galatians 6 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Let me ask you, are you living in sin or are you living in the Spirit? Because it makes all the difference in the world. I want you to turn. I want you to get out of it because it's long-term. Some of you are continuing sin. Like it's perpetuated in your families. You're doing what was taught to you by your parents and you know it's wrong and you need to break that cycle today. Just a quick example. If you're yelling at your kids, what do you think they're going to do to their kids? It's got to end somewhere. May it be you. Do the right thing. Break the sin cycle. I pray years and years from now that we have generations of people that look back to this moment and go, man, my life is so much better because my grandfather, my great-grandmother made a decision to do the right thing, to follow God, to repent and give up their sin. Now, how do we, how do we break free from sin? What do we do? First of all, um, I need to understand what God did for me. That's the first step in breaking this sin, uh, of getting out of this sin problem. Uh, we all think that we can solve our own sin problem. 
Like we know it's not possible, but yet we still think that we can do it on our own. We're, we're like, I got this thing, right? But there, there needs to come a time in every one of our lives where we humble ourselves and we get on our knees and we realize what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 2 when he was quoting Isaiah 53. He said, he, talking about Jesus, personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. I love the fact that he chose personally and he put that in there. It's like he looked down through the ages and he saw you and me and he saw our sins and he said, I'm gonna take care of those. If you'll let me, I just wanna take those from you. He personally carried our sins on his body and by his wounds, we are spiritually healed. 2 Corinthians 13 says, although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. We too are weak, just as Christ was. But when we deal with you, talking about our dealings with each other, we will be alive with him and will have God's power. Man, some of y'all need to underline God's power. We'll have God's power. Because not only did Jesus on the cross take care of our, uh, the sin, I'm sorry, the death of sin, like, that's the way we think about our religion all the time. That's the way we think about our, our Christianity, our faith all the time, is it's just fire insurance. I received Christ just so I don't have to go to hell. That's what we think a lot of the time. But did you know that God didn't just come for that? Like, God sent Jesus so that we could have life and have it to the abundant, or have, have it to the fullest right now. Like, not only did he overcome the death of sin, but Jesus overcome the, overcame the power of sin. Now, not so that we could be perfect. None of us are perfect. But the way we say it around here all the time is so that we could live to become more like Christ every day. So that we can be better tomorrow than we were today and better today than we were yesterday. That's the idea. And yes, it's going to be up and down. Some days we have bad days and, and, and we don't control our tongue or we don't control our thoughts. And we, we got to do a better job. But it's the idea of becoming more like Christ every day. And God sent his son so that we had had the power over that. To overcome that, the power of sin. Number two, I have to let God give me a new nature. This is where it starts. I recognize what he's done for me, but then I allow him to, to give me a new nature. Remember that sin nature we talked about earlier? We all have it. We, we need something new. We need something new. 1 John 3 says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. I know some of you, you're like, you know what? I, I've never received Christ, but... I don't really feel like I need to. Like, uh, I'm a pretty good person. I, I see Christians that are worse than I am. I want you to know if, if all it was required was for you to live a good life and follow the rules, I think Jesus would have treated the Pharisees a little differently. Right? Like they followed all the rules. And yet Jesus said, you are nothing but whitewashed tombs dead on the inside because it's it doesn't matter how good you are it matters who your god is now what do we need in in order to over overcome sin what's what's that power that we need to overcome the power of sin in our lives to get it out of our lives to be able to become more like christ every day romans 8 9 says but you are not controlled by your sinful nature praise god for that right 
But why? He says, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Again, are we living by sin or are we living by the Spirit? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have this, we can overcome the sin that we stumble over, that we trip over, the tripwires in our lives, the things that, that we're prone to chase after instead of God. We can overcome those things if we live by the Spirit. And then number three, I need to change the way I think about sin. Can we get back to calling it sin? Can we do that? Can we say, look, I've sinned. Look, I, I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Can we start doing that again? That's the only way we're going to start treating it correctly because many of us, we treat our, our sin like pets. Like we feed it, we hang on to it, we pet it, we think it's great. We keep it around. If that's you, I'm just telling you, you've got a pet that someday will turn on you and kill you. We, we got to change the way that we think about sin. Romans 6 and verse 10 says, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. We use that phrase a lot, especially during our celebration service. We say dead to sin, alive with Christ. Dead to sin, alive with Christ. Why do we say that? Because that's what we're supposed to be. When we receive Christ and we're baptized, we're filled with his Holy Spirit, that, that whole symbolism of baptism is this idea that we're, we're dying to our old nature. We're dying to our sin nature and, and we're coming up out of the water as a new creation, somebody who is alive in Christ. It goes on in verse 12 to say, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give it to sin, don't, do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you are alive. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Do you remember the covenant that God tried to establish with his people? Creation, Noah, Abraham, Israel, king david and we failed at all of them we failed to fulfill those covenants even in the midst of all of that through god's prophets he was telling us that he was eventually going to send someone who would restore that covenant and do something even better to create a new covenant that's what christmas is about god sent his son he stepped out of heaven he put on flesh he was born in a manger and he walked a perfect life teaching, healing, loving, showing people a better way to live, pointing them to God. And because of that, they arrested him and they, they crucified him. He gave up his life on the cross to pay for this sin problem that you and I have that we can't overcome on our own. He was placed in a tomb and he rose three days later. One of the reasons why Jesus came is it's because through Jesus, God established a new covenant. I love the fact that when he's sitting at the Last Supper before he goes to the cross, he's passing the bread and he passes the wine and he literally tells them, look, this wine symbolizes my blood, which is poured out for you for a new covenant. I'm establishing a new covenant with you. They'd been living under that old covenant and they couldn't do it. They kept failing over and over again with no hope. And one night the angel showed up to the shepherds. 
And they proclaimed, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Not just you, not just me, but for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, Christ the Lord. Jesus came to fulfill the covenants that you and I couldn't keep, that we broke over and over again. He was a part of the the family of Abraham, so he brought in all the blessings to the entire world. Jesus was that, that perfect Israelite who was able to fulfill all the law. He was the only one that obeyed all of it perfectly. He was of the line of David. He was the Lion of Judah. He was the King of Kings. And so he brought peace and justice to the entire world. It's only through Jesus that God was able to make a way where we could overcome our sin problem and enter into a covenant relationship with him. Along with decisions and actions come consequences. Right now is one of those times. We all have a sin problem, every one of us. My question is, have you found a solution? I would submit to you that the only solution for our sin problem is Jesus. That's it. You can't do it on your own. He's the only one who can eliminate your sin problem and put you in a right relationship with God. That is why he came. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now as your people. Lord, we're broken, we're messed up, we're trying our best. And Lord, I pray for those in the room that that just keep stumbling, Lord. I pray that you would give them a double portion of your spirit. Give them the strength that they need to overcome whatever sin that they're dealing with. Lord, I pray for those that are hiding sin. May they understand it might be secret, but it ain't private. And God, that it's gonna come out into light. I I pray that you would give them the strength and the, the boldness to go ahead and confess it, to repent. God, I pray for those who have never received Christ, that today would be the day that they wouldn't leave this room without allowing you to take care of their sin problem. God, we just pray that all of this continues to mold and shape us into the people that you've called us to be. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.